You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. I encourage you to take out of your uh, worship folder. You have a lot of things in your worship folder. One is a connection card. We'd love to have a prayer request upon you upon that. And uh, you can just write your name on that. If it's confidential, just check the box, confidential. And it only goes to us. You can give it to an usher afterwards or give it to me or put it in the little ba- box out front or hand it to somebody who looks important. And uh, they'll be happy to... Uh, what's your, I guess you all look important. So ha- just bring them up front. <laughs> That'd be great. So uh, do that. There's some uh, invites that Nathan talked to you about. I encourage you to do that. Then there's the outline and that you want to pull that out. There's some blanks on the outline, and that's uh, um, opportunities for you to fill in those blanks. The answers will be up on the screen, but I also list, as, as you all know, that uh, a lot of extra verses, and so we uh, produced this study guide for you. Uh, it's right out these double doors, and if you turn left, there's a long, there's a little desk there that under the um, community life group sign, and these uh, study guides, a lot of our life groups use them now. A lot of our life groups are taking a, a break in... Um, uh, December to make room to be able to do all these other service opportunities, Project Joy and home parties and serving different capacities. So, um, but you can use these still for personal Bible study. They've got some great questions on there to go through, or if you want to meet with a small group, go ahead and do that. But on the back of that are all the answers to the fill in the blanks on your Sunday morning outline, plus all the extra verses. And so if you're curious, oh, I forgot that, I'm not writing fast enough, then go ahead and grab one of those and don't worry about it. You'll get that as we go along. But I uh, um, encourage you to take some notes as we move forward. But you know, uh, not only is it Vestember, but uh, uh, this Sunday is the, uh, uh, right in the middle of America's biggest shopping weekend of the year, right? Uh, it started with Gray Tuesday, or Gray Thursday. It probably started back in Tuesday, but I, I, thought, I guess we just skipped over Thanksgiving and now it's just called Gray Thursday or Black Friday Eve. And then, of course, Friday is Black Friday. And the reason why it's called Black Friday is because the idea is, is that now all the... Um, uh, retail uh, outlets now turn from red to black because of all of our spending. See, that's the idea. And then, of course, Monday is, or Saturday is uh, small business Saturday. And then, of course, then there's Monday, which is what? Called Cyber Monday. So I thought, what's Sunday? I mean, there's got to be a name for Sunday. So I'm scouring the internet trying to look for a Sunday. There's no Sunday. Maybe, maybe it should be called Shopaholic Sunday or Shop Till You Drop Sunday. But let me suggest a few other names for Sunday. How about this one? Soulless Sunday. Just a time to take a pause and find some quiet, serene place and take a time. Or how about Sacred Sunday? I mean, all throughout the work, we're busy, 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 busy. Let's take a Sunday and just kind of make it holy, make it sacred. Or better yet, how about make room for Jesus Sunday? <laughs> um, somehow those names have already been told to us in the Bible maybe a little bit. But, uh, but, but see, what is interesting is this whole shopping weekend and the weeks leading up to it um, is each of us have been bombarded with... Uh, uh, advertisements and marketing seeking to uh, implore, lure, entice us to making room for their products. In a Huffington Post article from last year about this time, it said this, over a quarter of a trillion dollars, trillion dollars, is spent each year to get us to want and to make room in our lives for whatever they're selling. 
And this weekend has been coined the incarnation of consumer capitalism, where shopaholicism is fostered along with pushing consumer demand beyond any reasonable definition of need or want. They want us to choose to make room as we get caught up in the fray of the shopping. (laughs) And actually, really, all through our lives, people, products, projects, professions, and play all volley for our time, resources, energy, and efforts. And the big question is, will we create space in our life for them? For anything and everything involves creating space. Each of us have been given 24 hours, right? Anybody have any extra? (laughs) It's all the same. And we tend to fill the whole day with activities. And believe me, if there's nothing there, something will fill it in. And we have to literally make room for relationships, for hobbies, for new interests, for new ventures. And that creating of space involves a choice, a choice to make room. And we all want to make room for the things that will bring great experiences and provide opportunities that enhance life. Well, this holiday season, this Christmas season, and all through life, let me encourage you to make room for Jesus. Jesus is worth creating space for. Because in Christ, life aligns. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things we worry about will fall into place. You put that chemical of Jesus in our life and boom, everything falls into place. When he's in that central place of highest affection in our life, we need to create space for that because life aligns in Jesus. Not only that, we can find help and hope and rest in Jesus. Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, there is rest and there's hope and there's peace in him when we come to him. He's, He's worth making space for in our life. And not only that, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, as John 14, 6 says. Because the reality is, we've been born with something missing in our life. Now I know you're looking up and go, Pastor Mike, there's something missing with you with this whole vest number thing. We're just not quite sure with you. <laughs> but, but we're all of us. All of us are born with something missing in our life. Uh, this, this gap, this, 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 this uh, emptiness in our life uh, is, is, a, is a distance between holy God and now sinful us. See, from the beginning of time, and we'll talk about this in a moment, God's creation, we were born into this unfortunate condition of sinfulness, and that sin separates us from God. And it creates an emptiness in it. And we try to fill it with all kinds of stuff in our life to kind of fill that empty feeling. It's kind of like, you know, on Thanksgiving, and you look at your plate and you go, something's missing. It's the stuffing. I knew I needed that stuffing. You go back and get the stuffing or whatever you're missing, sweet potatoes or, or yams or whatever you call your thing. It's just uh, um, we miss something and we want to fill it. And our life is that way, whether it's popularity and we try to fill that in. No, no, that doesn't fit. And we try to all these things and stuff that doesn't fit. The only thing that fits is Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. If we want to have wholeness in life, it's found in Christ and Christ alone. Nothing else will satisfy Nathan talked about that just a little bit ago. He is the one source of our satisfaction. There's only satisfaction of life can be found in him because he's the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, Because of that, we should make room for Jesus. Jesus is worth 
creating space for, for making room for, because he is Emmanuel. Uh, there's a verse I ask you to turn to. It's uh, Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself gave you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. That sign is a sign of his promise, God's promise of love and connection and salvation, uh, that he would fill that gap in our life. Well, uh, forward to the to Jesus' time when he's being born and, and Joseph and Mary are, are there and, and an angel appeared to Joseph and in Matthew chapter one, verses 21 to 23, the angel said to Joseph, talking about Mary, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save the people from their sins. He'll bridge that gap. He'll fill that space. And, and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken of by the prophet. That's the prophet Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Then we're told what Emmanuel means. It means God with us. Wow. God with us. Not some distant deity that stays up in heaven and kind of shouts down at things. Actually among us. For Jesus is the embodiment of all the goodness and grace and mercy and kindness and blessing of God. Jesus is God incarnate in flesh. This is great truth. Take your Bible and turn over to now to Philippians. Flip over to Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter two, uh, it goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So Philippians chapter two, uh, starting in verse six, it says this, t- speaking of Jesus, you know, the Bible is, is so full of, of all kinds of amazing things about the reality of how awesome and wonderful and beautiful and amazing and God, just incredible Jesus is that we should make room for him. And, and so, you know, jot down these notes and, and, and we're only in the introduction. We still got a whole sermon to go. I wanted to give you this stuff because this is so good. It's talking about how amazing Jesus is. But listen about what it says about Jesus in here. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In verse six, it says, though he was... In the form of God, that word form means the true and exact nature, possessing all the characteristics and qualities of God because Jesus is God. He emptied himself. Now, it doesn't mean that he stepped aside of his godness. What it means is it means he he squeezed himself into the tininess of a man and came to be born and to live among us. Not so that he would understand what it's like to be a human. I mean, he's God. He knows everything. But so we would understand that he understands. But he squeezed himself into the tininess of a man to live among us. God incarnate, the embodiment of God. Okay, you got to get this first. Turn over to, to Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. The very next ver- uh, book of the Bible. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. It says this, talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn there doesn't mean uh, the firstborn in order. It means the firstborn in promise. The firstborn was promised all of this in that day and age. So the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven. And it's talking about Jesus. In heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, the thrones, or dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
And he's before all things. In him, him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn among the dead, that everything might have, and that in everything he might have preeminence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That verse, uh, verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, that, that yes, Jesus bears all the glory of God and all of who God is dwells in him. He is God. He is God incarnate. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And being has come to, to dwell among us, how then do we make room for a relationship with Jesus. So four actions to make room for Jesus. Woo, we just got started. So let's stand up, let's, let's pray, and then we'll launch into this. And we'll get done in time, don't worry. Father, thank you for the opportunity of just starting this Advent season so focused on you, Jesus, and how awesome you are. Lord, may we just grasp a tiny bit of that awesomeness today and understand how we might make room for you and, and in relationship. Holy Spirit, teach us, challenge us, rock us to the core a little bit this morning even. Help us to understand, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat, and again, take down some notes, uh, and, uh, and uh, get that study guide afterwards if you're looking at those verses. But four actions to make room for Jesus. The first action to make room for Jesus is to believe in God's story. Now, if you want to, you can turn to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, if you want to, because we're going to go Genesis, then we're going to go to Revelation. We're going all over the place. This is fine. <clears throat> we need to believe in God's story. In the beginning, the very first book of the Bible in Genesis says, in the beginning, there was a big bang. No, it doesn't say that. It says, in the beginning, God created. God's story begins with creation. The world and all that's in it did not evolve, not some big explosion, but an intelligent designer created. God took nothing and made something. Nobody else does that. Ex nihilo, out of nothing, he created. And science and even mathematics cannot explain our origin. And the truth is they don't want to. For if there is a God, then we must be subject to him by the very reality that he is creator. And mankind tends to want to be the ultimate authority in the universe. So chances of that happening is probably not. But, but God is creator and everything screams out of that. I mean, when you stand in front of the mirror, it screams out an intelligent designer. Uh, I, we've talked about this before, but your human body is completely amazing. A miraculous uh, 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 thing walking around. I mean, just even if you just take, not, not just our, our circulatory system or our, our, our nerve system or how our brain works, ooh, man, that'll blow your mind. But, but just think of the enzymatic makeup of your body. We have some, I don't know, numbers of different enzymes that, that have to be in complete perfect balance with each other for life to exist. If one is out of whack, you will die immediately. That enzymatic makeup is such an intricate uh, uh, design that it could not, mathematically, it is impossible for it to have evolved to where it is to sustain, to lock into our DNA so now it continues to be so. It's mathematically impossible. 
So when you look in the mirror, you go, woo, look at that miracle. Say, I'm a miracle. You are. You're a walking miracle of an intelligent designer who, if you, if you want to write down Psalm 139, who knit you together inside your mom. Every detail and feature, God put you together. You were intelligently created. And as you and I are walking proof of God's intelligent design, to make room for Jesus is to believe in that, to believe in creation. But as we read on in Genesis chapter one, chapter two, and then chapter three, we read the unfortunate reality that there is a separation between man and God. God created man and woman and put them in the garden and said, you can eat of any tree of the fruit, any, any, any fruit of the tree of anything in the garden, but that one over there, don't eat of that. Because he wanted to create us with a free will to give us a choice. If there's no choice, there's no free will. So he made a choice. And unfortunately, you know the story. You can read it yourself about how uh, they went and they saw the fruit and it was good and they ate of it. And sin entered into mankind. It changed everything about this world and everything about us. For now, from generation to generation to generation, we all have this emptiness, this chasm in our life. This separation between us and God. Isaiah describes it like this, Isaiah 59 two, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin has shut God out of our life. And there's no room for him. And even our attempts to do good, though helpful to, maybe to others and maybe a little bit to ourselves, does not change that sinful condition. There's nothing that can fill that gap. Not, not going to church and, and even giving money in the offering plate or helping out somebody or, or even memorizing the Bible or going to Bible classes. Those are all great things, but they do not change the reality of what's happened to us. They don't fill the gap. They don't close it. We're still sinful. There's no way to make us right by ourselves. We are separate because of sin. Matter of fact, even Isaiah 64, 5 says... Our good, our righteous, and our acts of righteousness are like filthy rags. And yet, if not dealt with, this chasm, this emptiness, we will not fulfill our destiny. We will not enhance our life. We won't live out how God designed us to be and will not be allowed into heaven. That's the truth, regardless if you believe it or not. Yet to make room for Jesus is to believe in this separation, to understand it and to know it. Now the great reality is God's story does not stop there. But the great joy in the reality that God has provided redemption. He's from this separate condition. And he provided it through Jesus. Uh, uh, Romans 3.25 says that, that uh, Jesus is our atoning sacrifice that we're to receive by faith. His atoning sacrifice is Jesus not only squeezing himself into the tiniest of a man, came to live among us so that we would understand he was like man and it actually to show us how to live life God's way. But he also came for another greater purpose. And that was eventually to walk to the cross where he was hung there, beaten, scourged, and the sin of the world was dumped on him and he paid the penalty for our sin. He was the atoning sacrifice for our sin. He died in our place. And how we receive that is by, by taking that in and, and, and believing in it. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But, but the truth is that we've been redeemed. 
and we receive it by faith. First John 2, 2 says, Jesus is an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world, not just our sins, but all, everyone's sins who would believe. In 1 John 4, 10, it says, out of love, God provided Christ as that atoning sacrifice. And it's Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14 says, Jesus is our redeemer. He redeemed us out of that dark place of sinfulness and put us into the light of part of his forever family. But not just redeemer. God's story is a story of restoration. Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that Paul writes to the Philippians, that he who began a good work in you, that's God, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See, see, when you come to faith in, in Christ, when you receive and believe in God's story and redemption from your sins, God gives you a coach, a spiritual coach called the Holy Spirit. He is with you and helps you understand, helps you to grow. That's why when you come to church or when you read your Bible and you, and you get this kind of, woo, aha moment, wow. I think somebody's speaking to me about this. And you may, you know, I, some people hear audible. I don't hear audible voices from God, but I get that sense in my head that, that God is speaking to me. And, he, and that's the Holy Spirit at work in our life, coaching us and helping us along in life. That's God's story. Creation, separation, redemption, and restoration. And making room for him is to have faith and to put our hope in this story, to trust and believe in this story. The question is, will you then proclaim it by living it? It's kind of like the illustration of, a, of, a, of, a, of believing in a plane ride from here to Wisconsin. Now you can say, I believe that the plane will take me from here to Wisconsin. You can even get online and research how long the plane travel is going to be. You can even go and purchase a ticket. And that's great. But yet you're still not truly believing that the plane will take you because you're still sitting here. You can even go to the airport and hang around a lot of people who have tickets in their hand who believe they're going somewhere. But until you actually put your rear end in the seat of that plane and it takes off, that's when you believe. (laughs) You are putting your faith in that enough that says, I believe it will take me from here to there. In the same way it is with our faith with Christ. That we're saying, yes, I believe enough in Jesus, in God's story, creation, separation, redemption, and restoration, that Jesus is going to take me from here, this sinful condition, to overhear this mature person in Christ. Not me. I'm not going to do it. It's all by Jesus. I'm placing my faith in him. That's saving faith. Unfortunately, the reality is that a lot of people, they're still at the airport going, I got a ticket. At least I think I do. <laughs> And they've never really placed their faith in Christ alone for their salvation. They're still trying to earn it. I got to get some good works. I got to do some things. That's not faith. That's good works. That's moralism. But yet Jesus made it clear to us. And he's part of that story. And to make room for him is to believe. I love what Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. That's the people who are speaking other forms of faith and and people who seem to get us down. For it is the Lord, your God, who goes with you. We don't ever go alone. He will never leave you or forsake you. See, God, God has an incredible love for you. You know, the very simple verse, many of you have memorized, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. God loves you that much. He doesn't want you to stay in that empty condition. He wants you to be part of his forever family through faith. And he wants you to grow in that faith and grow more in love with him so you can experience the full breadth of life in him. That's how much he loves you. He loves every part of you, even the dark, dark, deep, secret sins that nobody knows but you and, of course, God. He still loves you. He doesn't love what you're doing, but he loves you. So to make room is to believe in God's story, but also to hope in God's story. Okay, now you're in in Genesis. Turn over to the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, the second to the last chapter, verse 21. Now, the, the book of the Revelation, many of you are going through that. There's a Bible study fellowship is doing a whole thing on the book of the Revelation. It's a very interesting book. Woo! Lots of stuff going on. Uh, it, it basically, it's, it's the Apostle John who is best friends with Jesus. He has this vision, and he, he's kind of just writing down what he, what, he's, what he saw, what he heard, all of these things that are from God, he's writing it down. And he's telling us a lot about what heaven's like and about how amazing and incredible God is and some great lessons for, every, for even every day. But in this particular chapter, in chapter 21, he begins to talk about the hope of God's story. A new heaven and a new earth. Verse 1 says, or verse 20, chapter 21, verse 1 says this. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had gone away. And then he says something very interesting. And the sea was no more. Now see, like most of the apostles, uh, the, the first disciples, they were all martyred for their faith. John was probably two. We don't know that. But we do know that he was put in exile on the island of Patmos, kind of like a Alcatraz island there. And he was divided by the sea. No one could get to him. None of his friends that he loved dearly, none of his family, uh, none, of the, none of the people of his, of his new faith in Christ. He was alone. So when he writes this, there is no longer any sea. That's the the words of hope saying, I'm not going to be alone forever. There's going to come a time when I'm going to be united again with my brothers and sisters in faith and my my family. And and I'm going to be united with those who believe in Christ. And I'm going to be united with my master and savior and Lord. See, Paul, uh, excuse me, John put his hope in God's story. No separation. He put his hope in the very present reality that God wants a relationship with us. And he does. Uh, Jeremiah 31 verse 3, it it says, I have drawn you with loving kindness, God says. In other words, he keeps throwing out how much he loves us. And he's trying to pull us in and woo us in to the fact that how much he loves us and cares about us. He's drawn us with that loving kindness. Isaiah 41 verse 9 says that, he says, I haven't rejected you, God says, but I have actually chosen you. And now I will uphold you with my righteous right arm. And I love how Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5 says it, that we were predestined, predetermined, pre-chosen before God. In other words, God knew all the choices and just said, I'm going to choose, I know that you're going to choose me. <clears throat> he was predestined to be adopted as part of God's family. See, God loves us that much, wants that relationship with us. So if God so desires to relate to us, will you prepare room for him in your life? Receive this hope and, and continue to receive this hope. Don't ever forget this great hope. 
Because as, as John 1, 12 says, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. To receive that and understand it and to grow in that. That's where the hope is found. The hope is not found in anything we do. You know, so much we're searching for that uh, sufficiency and significance and importance in life. And we try to add it to ourselves. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try real hard. Ah! You know, and I'm gonna serve. Ah! And I'm gonna give more. Ah! And we try so hard and it doesn't work. Because it's not our effort that our hope needs to be in. It's all in Jesus. And let me tell you something. If I have the choice between putting my hope in myself or putting my hope in the God of the universe, where do you think my hope is going to be? I know me. I mess up all the time. Jesus never does. He's perfect in every way. Man, put your hope in that. That's how we make room for Jesus. As we believe and, and hope in him, we're going to put that hope in his story. I love what Joshua 1.9 says. He says, have I not commanded you, Joshua, he, he's, he's, his, his job after Moses was to, to take the children of Israel into the promised land. And he was a little nervous of that. And, and God says to him, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Do not be dismayed. There's a lot in our world that, that is that way. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, what, this is written in Hebrew, but you know what the Hebrew word for wherever, you know what that means? It means wherever. <laughs> wherever you go, he's there. You go to, the, to, the, to these great uh, times where you're serving well, God's there. You go to these other great times where you're sinning uh, tremendously, he's there. He's, wherever you go, he's there. He never leaves us or forsakes us. Put your hope in Jesus. Make room for him. As you believe and hope in, in God's story, we need to come to the place where we acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Like Thomas. If you want to turn there, you can turn to John chapter 20, verses, uh, the story is about verses 25 to 28. But, but um, Jesus has been born, he lives, he's, he's about 30-something years old, and, and it's coming, he's, he's been teaching all about God and that he's Messiah, and he's also been teaching the disciples that, you know, I'm gonna have to pay one day for the sins of the world. And they weren't quite getting it. They didn't get it till after his death, but he kept saying, I'm gonna die, just so you know, there's gonna come a time when I'm gonna die. But don't worry, I'll raise again, and they still didn't get that either. So here it is, Good Friday. They have the Last Supper. It's a wonderful time. Jesus says some things that kind of creeps them out, but they're not sure what's happening. And, and the guards come, take him. He goes through a tremendous trial of beatings and mock trials, and finally the death certificate's handed down to have him crucified. And he hangs on a cross. And at one point, he looks up to God and says, why have you forsaken me? And because the sin of the world was dumped on him and God could no longer work Look at him, and, and he gave up his life. He's put into a tomb, and he stayed there Friday, Saturday, and on the third day, Sunday, the first day of the week, Mary comes brokenhearted to the tomb, and the tomb is open, and there's nobody there. She turns around, and there is Jesus, alive! She is just blown away and she doesn't know what she's doing. And she, she reaches out and hugs him and says, no, Mary, wait. Mary goes and runs and tells the disciples. The disciples come running back to the tomb and they go, where's Jesus? They, Jesus shows himself to them too. He comes to the disciples. They're here in the upper room. It's all locked over. And all of a sudden, whoosh, Jesus shows up. 
and he talks to them and the guys can't believe they're talking about them, but not all the disciples were there. There was a couple of them that weren't there, specifically Thomas. Thomas is, comes in and they're all excited saying, Jesus is alive, he's alive. And he goes, come on, I saw him die. I saw the spear in his side that came out both blood and water, including that he died. He is dead and he's not alive until I see the nail prints in his hands and thrust my hand in the side where his sores, I'm not gonna believe. I don't know if there was some kind of noise there, but the door was locked and all of a sudden, whoosh. And you could kind of feel it in the air. I just picture Jesus kind of walking towards Thomas and the disciples kind of part there and there's Thomas right before Jesus and his arms are there and he says, Thomas, put your hands here. Thomas, put your hand here. Man, I wish I could have been there. Thomas, I'm sure, just uh, flooded with emotions and, and he's not sure what to say. And he says these words in John 20, verse 20, he says, he says, my Lord and my God. My Lord means my master, my leader, my key influencer, my purpose, my identity, my highest affection. See, it's all too easy for us to think of, of Jesus as just a helper, just some good luck charm, just some genie in a lamp when we have trouble, or some emergency responder. But Lord means Lord, master, leader. And we show him that by acknowledging in him as Lord and knowing him and living life his way regardless our circumstances. See, when our belief and our hope is in the quality of life we have, oh, I have my health, oh, I have a good job, oh, I have this, our hope is really now in the lordship of self. But the truth is we deserve absolutely nothing. Remember that separate part? Us being sinful, we now have no rights. We were born that way. And the question is, is he Lord? You want to have the best Christmas ever? It's not found in the, you know, this super family time or, or writing these really great uh, Christmas cards or getting the right picture of your kids or grandkids or, or having the best holiday party. You want to have the best Christmas ever? Then be like Thomas. Fall down on your knees before Jesus and say, my Lord, that's how you make room for him, by acknowledging him as Lord. Some of you have been believers for a long time, but Jesus is not your Lord, and you know it. You're your own Lord. You call the shots. You have to be right. It's all about what you want. He is Lord regardless if you acknowledge him or not. But there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But how you make room for him now is to acknowledge him as that, to turn your life over to him, to agreeing with God that Jesus is Lord 
because he is. Psalm 94, 14 says, for the Lord will not forsake his people. See, when you acknowledge him as Lord, you come under his, his reign and you become the people of his kingdom. The Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. Make room for Jesus. Don't let another day go by without acknowledging him as Lord, to know him and to live life his way, to make room and, and develop and continue to a relationship with Jesus, to believe and hope in God's story, to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, and then lastly, to worship Jesus our Emmanuel. If you want to flip back over a few pages from John to Matthew chapter 2, you, you know the story. We three kings of Orient, the, <clears throat> the wise men, come to Jesus. Now, I know the nativity scenes and the, the creches show the wise men in a line there at the birth of Jesus. They weren't there when Jesus was born. They didn't get there even a few days afterwards. It was like years afterwards. Jesus is about five years old now. And they were searching. They followed the star and went to Herod. And Herod directed him, wanted that, but he wanted to make sure that he knew because he wanted to kill Jesus. But the, the, the wise men came secretly and found Jesus. They found the place he was living. It's probably some apartment. <laughs> and going into the house, verse 11 of Matthew 2, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, to worship is to love Jesus by giving allegiance to him. I love how, you know, in, in some countries you bow and you, you, you say, I offer myself and my being and my, ever, and my everything to you. I am at your service. It's, it's, that, it's that acknowledgement and, and that allegiance that I will live in and defend and, and stand for you now. Not for myself, but for you. That worship is an allegiance, but it's also a reverence. It's saying, it's, it's that, 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 that holy fear of God that says, I don't want to mess with that. It's too awesome. He's too amazing. I bow in prayer because I, I, I stand in reverent fear of God as creator, as almighty, all powerful, all everything God. Worship is allegiance, it's reverence, it's service. It's saying not what I want, God, but what you want. I'm here to serve your purposes and it's obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my words. That's how we make room and worship and develop a relationship with Jesus. Allegiance and reverence and service and obedience. The question is, will you? Hebrews 13, five says this. It says, keep yourselves free from the love of money <laughs> because that's what we tend to worship. Isn't it? That materialism, that capitalism, that money. Be free, keep yourself free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
why that's worth making room for. We need to be careful of the incarnation of that consumer capitalism. But embrace the incarnate Christ, our Emmanuel, who desires to uh, us to have a relationship with him. So make room and develop that relationship with him by believing in God's story, by hoping in God's story, by acknowledging him as Lord and by worshiping our Emmanuel. The question is, will you? It takes that first step of, of truly believing. We're coming to that place where you understand that you have that emptiness and that only Jesus can fill that. And so that's why all, every Christmas season we create these white packets. Inside there's a letter written from me and, uh, and, a, and a couple of different booklets to explain the Christ of Christmas and how you might have that close personal relationship with Jesus, how you can make room for him. And I encourage you, if you're questioning your own relationship with God, take one of these packets. Our ushers will have them at the different uh, uh, doors, or if you can't find one, go find an usher and get one of these white packets. And Don't take it for somebody else and say, here, you read this. <laughs> no, you take it. And if you know someone who needs one, bring them to church and then let them take one themselves. But um, I challenge with that. Others of you, the challenge is to really make Jesus Lord to let him be in that prominent place, to really acknowledge him. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity. We have this first Sunday of Advent to come and to, to really focus in on you. Lord, we want to let our heart prepare you room. So Father, help us with that. Challenge us in that area. Specifically this morning as we've been talking about relationship, Lord, Walk with us in that. Help us in that. Help us to believe in your story, to hope in your story, to acknowledge you as Lord and to, to actually worship you. Holy Spirit, challenge us right now, we pray in your son's name.